Uh, as we uh, get started in uh, the Word of God this morning, uh, I first want to share a little bit. Uh, I'm excited about this upcoming year, uh, this new sermon series that we're doing uh, called Following Jesus. Uh, through this sermon series, we're going to be entering into the story of Jesus through the book of John. Uh, and so last summer, uh, we kind of did four weeks in John. It was our summer in the scriptures, and uh, we were reading through it, you know, about five chapters a week. And, and so we were going pretty fast through it. And uh, as we were reading through it, I'm like, there is just so many incredible things that we see taking place in John's gospel. Uh, there's so many ways in which we see Jesus in a, in a unique light, in a different light than even the way that we see him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I was like, you know, what? I just had this feeling as we we're reading through it, like we... We need to read through this slowly. We need to read through this together slowly. And so throughout this year, we're going to be journeying uh, through the book of John. And, uh, you know, some of the things that I appreciate about John's gospel is that it invites us into what I feel is like a, a more intimate connection with Jesus. Throughout John's gospel, you see a little bit more of those private conversations that he has with the disciples, the ways that he draws them closer to him, some of the intimate conversations that he has with people as he's going about doing miracles and ministry. And so there's a way that it's written that invites us into that same kind of intimate relationship where we are, we're connecting with Jesus on a, on a deep and personal level. And so that's the way that I invite us to approach uh, John's gospel throughout this year as we're reading through it, uh, to see the ways that Jesus might be speaking to us, to see the ways that Jesus is inviting and calling and us to follow him, uh, to experience and know his presence and his power in his life within ours. And, and so I'm excited to kick off our journey through John this morning, our journey of following Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. Uh, we'll read verses 19 through 28 together. Uh, in, a, in our passage this morning, we meet uh, John the Baptist, right? Uh, John the Baptist is kind of the, the main person that we're seeing in our, as we're starting out here. Uh, we already kind of met John the Baptist on, on Christmas Eve, as we were reading through the first part, the first few verses. Uh, what we see in John the Baptist in John's gospel is not like the whole backstory with his mom, Elizabeth, who was, who had been barren for her whole life, couldn't have children, and all of a sudden God miraculously gives her children. We don't, we don't see the backstory of of Zechariah, his father, who was a priest who doubted God's promise and then became mute. Instead, what we see is, is really kind of this cut to the chase. This is who John is, and this is his purpose. This is his mission. And so we kind of get this introduction first in uh, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So I'm going to read those verses, and then we'll read our passage. Uh, so in verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. All right, and so those verses this give us a short intro into who John is. They tell us his purpose, right? He was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify to the light. He's not the light, but he's going to tell us who the light is. This is his purpose. And so now knowing his purpose, I invite us to hear a little bit more about his testimony here in verse 19. It says, this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? 
Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptized with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Now, as followers of Jesus, uh, one of the common things that we'll hear or that we will say at times uh, as we're kind of thinking about life and ourselves is, uh, you know, we're trying to be like Jesus. Right? A lot of times we, we prop that up as, as the goal of the Christian life, that we're, we're trying to be like Jesus. You know, Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the, the model, the example of what perfection looks like, you know, being a disciple means that we're learning from Jesus so that we can imitate Jesus. And so, so we hold up this goal, this ideal of being like Jesus. What I'm going to suggest this morning is that rather than trying to be like Jesus, perhaps we should be more like John the Baptist. Rather than trying to be like Jesus, we should try to be like John. And this is why. When we look at verses 19 and 20, all right, John is baptizing people out in the Jordan River. He's creating a big enough commotion uh, that the Jews, which when John says the Jews, oftentimes he means the, the Jewish leaders, the people who are in charge. They're sending out priests and Levites. They're sending out people to come in and, and ask, hey, what's going on? They're, they're leaving the capital city to go out into the wilderness and see what it is that John is doing. And like any good investigation, they begin with this question, who are you? Who are you? And, and this is a really good question. Who are you? It's, it's one of those questions, if we slow down and we stop and think about it, it might be a, a soul-piercing kind of question. Right? It's an identity question, a purpose question. Who are you? I mean, I, I doubt half the world could answer that question with a, good, with a good response, with a good answer. But John the Baptist, he has this brilliant uh, response, not just about who he is, but what we see him describing as who he is not. I'm going to invite you to read it with me from verse 20. Uh, it should be up on the screen. It says, uh, let's read it together. He confessed and did not deny it, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. Oh. I, I love that, right? There, these first words out of John the Baptist's mouth to tell us who he is, is him telling us who he's not. I am not the Messiah. Uh, even when we look back at those introductory verses uh, in verses uh, 6 through 9, those ones that first tell us who John is, we see him being defined again by, by what he is not. Right? It says, he himself was not the light. And, and so what I think is special about this is, one, he's understanding who he's not, but then he's also understanding who he is in relation to Jesus and the one who is the light. When he says, I'm not the Messiah, he's also kind of saying, but I know the one who is. Whenever it tells us that he's not the light, it's because he's come to testify to the light. Right? The way John answers the identity question, the way that he identifies himself is that even in the claims of who he is not, he's relating himself to Jesus. 
John is not the light, but he came to testify to the light. John answers the question, who are you, by saying, I'm not the Messiah. But in verse 23, he says, but I've come to prepare the way for him. John understands his, his essence, who he is, his purpose, his identity, his life in relation to Jesus. He, he can't help but communicate who he is. He can't help but communicate his identity and connection to Jesus's identity. And that's to recognize that he's not the Messiah, that he's not the Savior, but that he knows the one who is. Right? John's message, the reason why I think we should be a little bit more like John is because his message is essentially, you know what, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. But let me tell you who is. I mean, this message from John is it's one of the beautiful reminders that the Christmas season is all about. We're reminded in the birth of Jesus that like John, none of us are capable of saving ourselves. or really saving much of anything. But that we really needed a Savior. Christmas reminds us that Jesus was sent into the world to be the one who saves us because we cannot save ourselves. We are reminded at Christmas that none of us are the light, that none of us are the Messiah, but the true light, which enlightens everybody, has come into the world in the person of Jesus. So when I say that instead of trying to be like Jesus, we should try to be like John, what I mean is to realize that we're not the Messiah, that none of us has been born to be the Savior of the world, but we know who is. I'm not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah, but praise God, I know who is. And so I want you to, I want you to, to, to own this this morning, to say this with me. I'm going to invite you to repeat after me. Say, I am not the Messiah. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, you are not the Messiah. Let's say it together, but praise God, I know who is. And it might sound a little bit funny to just say this out loud, to, to, to speak it out. But I believe there's a lot of freedom in being able to say, I'm not the Messiah. And being able to tell the people around us, hey, you're not my Savior either. There's a great freedom to know that I don't have to be the Savior of the people around me. I don't, I don't have to look to the people around me to be my Savior. There's a great freedom to know and confess that I'm not my wife's Savior. God did not put me on earth to save her. And she doesn't have to bear the pressure of trying to save me either. It reduces the stress on our relationship when we take ownership of that. There's a great freedom as a parent to be able to say, you know what, I am not my child's savior. But praise God, I know who is and I can tell them about him. Right? There's a freedom for my children that, that they don't have to uh, go through the experience of, of me expecting them to be my savior, that they don't have to have that pressure of knowing that their life or their existence is to save me. There's a great freedom that comes from knowing that I am not the answer to my friend's problems. A freedom that comes in knowing that I wasn't sent into a community, into a neighborhood to save them. I'm not the solution to my, box, to my boss's perplexities. The weight of the world doesn't have to sit on your shoulders you weren't designed you weren't built you weren't made that's not your purpose you haven't been sent to be the savior to be the messiah i'm not the messiah you are not the messiah but praise god we know who is 
So as funny or as strange as it may sound to make that kind of statement, I'm not the Messiah, it's a good reminder for us. Because while most of us would readily acknowledge, you know, yeah, no, I, I know I'm not the Messiah. Like, many of us live our lives as though we are some form of Savior. Many of us attempt to live our lives as though we are our own Savior. And if I could just do enough, if I could just check enough boxes, if I could just do enough good things, then I'm going to save myself. If I could just do this for this person, if I could just get this person to listen to me about this, if I could just get them to, to follow this piece of advice, or this piece of direction, you know, then they would, be, they, would, they would know salvation. They would know this. They would know that. We, we think, we live as though we are somehow sent to be the world's Savior or our own Savior. And we live in this age where we're, we're tempted by all these marketing pitches to think that, that we can do anything and everything, that it's all possible if I just believe in myself, like my own Savior. We, we live this out, you know, if, if I could just preach a better sermon, the church would be full. If I could just work a little harder, the business would be saved. If I could just make a little bit more money, then my kids could have the things that they want and they, we would all be happy. If I could just say the right thing at the right time, then my marriage would be saved. If I could just speak the right words of advice or wisdom, if I could just do this or that, then my friendship would work out. If I do a little bit more here, if I do a little bit more there, if I carry a few more burdens on my back, then all of life is going to be great. And then when none of these things work out the way that we want, the way that we hope, the way that we think that they should, then we just pile on some more guilt on the Savior complex. Man, I got it wrong again. Man, I messed it up again. Man, I can't. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're always going to find ourselves lacking. We're always going to find ourselves failing to measure up. Even at the pinnacle of achievement, we come to the realization that we lack perfection. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. When we're honest, we recognize our shortcomings. We recognize our inability to set everything right in our own lives, let alone set the things right in the world around us. We recognize that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much effort we put forth, at some point, at some level, we fall short. And so this morning we're reminded that that we are like John, that we are inadequate and insufficient to be the Savior. But that's okay, because we know the one who is. The celebration of Christmas offers us that kind of hope. You and I don't have to save the world because the one who was given that purpose, the one who was given that mission, has already come. And so when you're tempted to think that you have to be the Savior of the world, uh, when, you, when you're tempted to think that, you know, you've got to fix this, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, when you've got to save the people around you, fix the people around you, to take hold of this truth. I'm, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the light. But I know who is. And so I've got a couple of suggestions for us whenever we're faced with those temptations to feel the need to save the world or to even save ourselves. The first to spend time in prayer, like to, to truly spend time in prayer. I, I found that in my own life, in moments when I feel guilty for not 
saving the day, when I'm struggling to bear the burden of being a savior, it's, it's helpful to turn to the one who I know is the savior. Right? Just like John came to testify to the light, sometimes we have to testify to ourselves to be reminded that I'm not the one, but I know who is. Right? Healthy prayer functions in this way that uh, on one hand, it connects us to God. It links us to his divine power. At the same time, it reminds us that we are not God because we're turning to him. Prayer serves as this reminder that, that I'm not God, but I know who is. When we pray, uh, prayer reminds us when we're giving thanks to God. Uh, it reminds us of where the good in our life really comes from. Scripture tells us that uh, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of light, in whom there is no shadow, whom there is no changing. When we pray and we give God thanks, we're reminded, hey, this isn't because of my doing. It's not because I'm somehow great. It's not because I've elevated my status up to Savior. It's because God is good, because God is great, because God is faithful, because God provides. I, I turn my attention and my focus towards him. In my prayer, whenever I take the time to confess, there's a, a, a sense of humility, a humbleness that comes in knowing that, you know what, I, I've, I've fallen short and, and I can't save myself, but I'm in touch with the one who can. Whenever I pray and I confess my own sins, it, it reminds me that, you know what, I, I'm also not put in the position of judging other people because in the same way they've fallen short, I've fallen short. But I know the one who can save them. I know the one who can help them. Prayers of a petition of concern, prayers where we're asking God to meet us in the midst of our needs and the world around us reminds us that, that there are so many things in this world that are beyond our control, beyond our ability, but that we know the one who has the whole world in his hands. And, and so I could take that pressure off of me, I could take that burden off of my back, and I can place it on the one who holds the world. Right, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are worry and heavy laden, all of you who are carrying these heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. There's an invitation to lay them down at his feet, to cast your cares, to cast your anxieties upon him, trusting and knowing that he cares for you. I, I believe that this uh, prayer is a way of recognizing that I'm not the Messiah, but I know who is, is one of the reasons why Paul invites us to pray without ceasing. And too many times uh, we don't lift things up to God in prayer because we think it's, well, this is too small. You know, this isn't that big of a deal. Well, this is kind of insignificant. You know, God's got enough things on his plate. He doesn't have to deal with this. I, I'll take care of this one. I, I don't need God to help me on this. I've got it. I, I don't want to bother God with this. I'll just do it myself. That, that's our Messiah complex kicking in. That, that's, that's my attempts to save myself. There's nothing that we should not, that we cannot lift up to God in prayer. Well, the invitation is to present all things, big, small, and everything in between, to lift it up to God in prayer, because in prayer we're reminded of who God is and who we're not, of what our position and what our place is, and what God's place is in our life and in the world around us. We're reminded that, that we are not God and that it's okay. The second suggestion that I would have for us, this kind of really comes straight from the life of John, is that if we want to have this reminder that we are not saviors, but we know the one who is, is to be a little bit more like John who came to testify to the light. It's to be able to tell others about Jesus. 
Right? Since we know that we're not the Savior, that we cannot save others, our mission then has to be about telling others. Instead of us going out and trying to save everybody, it's telling people about the one who actually can save them, who actually can help them, who actually can give them hope, who actually can give them peace, who actually can give them joy, who can fill their life with good things. You don't have to have all your answers figured out. You don't have to, you know, have your masters in apologetics in order to be able to tell people what Jesus has done for you. It just begins with a simple word of prayer. God, I pray for the people around me. I pray when there's opportunities to tell them about you that I'll be able to to tell them about you, that I'll be able to point to the light, that I can tell people what you've done for me. You know, as a part of this, uh, as we're entering into a new year, Maybe there's time to, to kind of just take some inventory of your life, of the ways that you've recognized and seen God at work. You know, sometimes some of these uh, you know, thought experts will say, when the year ends, you need to look back over all of 2023 and, and write down all the things, you know, the good, the bad, and the in-between. You're taking kind of an inventory of 2023, and then and you write down all the things that you hope for 2024. Right, so in that same kind of vein, I'm saying, look back over the course of your life. Make note of the ways that you've seen God at work in your life. It doesn't have to be like a big miraculous thing. It could just be, you know, these are the ways that I've seen God's faithfulness in my life. At this particular point in time of my life, this is the way that I saw God at work. Uh, This is the opportunity that God made for me. Uh, When I didn't think there was going to be a way, God opened up this door. God opened up this opportunity. God made a way when I wasn't sure there was going to be a way. You know, this is a time in my life when, when God really showed up and gave me peace. You know, I, I, I was just anxious. I was worried, and, and I prayed, and God gave me peace. Uh, this is a time when God comforted me. I was going through a difficult time. I was going uh, through a really rough road. I was walking, you know, through the darkest of valleys. God showed up, and he comforted me. Right, to be able to know those places where God has been a part of your life, how God has been your light and your salvation, and then when you know them, when you have that inventory of the ways that God has showed up in your life, then when the opportunities present themselves, when you're talking with somebody else, when you're in a conversation, when somebody mentions something going on in your life, you can say, you know what, I've, I've been in that place, and God helped me through that. You know, I've been in something similar to that, and when I was going through that, you know, I really turned to God, and God helped me out. Right? It doesn't have to be, again, you don't have to preach a sermon. Nobody, nobody wants to really hear that. But to be able to just offer a short word of how, I know, I know there's, there's something in that, right? No, like, but just to be able to offer a short word uh, of, of how God has been active, how God has showed up in your life in a similar way. And then as part of that, you know, don't give up on people. Don't give up on inviting them, appointing them towards the light, appointing them towards the one who is the Savior. I've heard of countless people who are in ministry, right? Serving as, as pastors and other places in ministry, people who would have never showed up in a church, but somebody invited them and they invited them and they invited them and they invited them. And the person said, no, I can't come. And then a couple weeks later, you know, the neighbor or the friend, you know, went over and said, hey, my, my church has got this going on. Why don't, why don't you come with me? No, I can't make it. A couple weeks later, hey, we're doing this at my church. Why don't, why don't you come with me? I don't think I can make it. A couple weeks later, hey, you know what? I, it, I'd really love if you come and sat with me at church. It'd be great. You know, it'll really be, you know, so, it'll help you take, set your mind at ease. It, it'll take a load off your shoulders. It'll do whatever, whatever. Why don't you come and sit with me? Right? People who invited over and over and over again, they showed up and God showed up and did an incredible work in their lives. 
It's all about pointing other people towards that light, towards the place where they can find the Savior, the one who came into the world to offer us salvation, the one who came, who was born on Christmas, and who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the dead, ascended into heaven to save us, to prepare a place for us where there's life everlasting, who gave us a reason to have hope, that regardless of whatever situation we face, no matter what we go through in life, to know that there is hope because Christ has risen from the dead. Friends, we don't don't have to be the Savior. We don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders because we know the one who came to save us. We know the one who has come to set things right. And there's a great privilege that comes from knowing the Savior and knowing that we're not him. So I'd invite us to be reminded of that this morning and to go and to share that good news with those around us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you uh, for all that you have done for us, especially we thank you for the giving of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that we might uh, truly know your light and your salvation, that you would be our strength, our peace, our hope, and our joy, that we might uh, experience and find the healing of our of our souls, of our bodies, of our minds, of our relationships as we turn to you. We pray that you would help us to not try to save ourselves, to not be the savior of others, but to trust fully in you and to point others towards you. God, I pray that you would uh, bring people into our path uh, that need to hear that good news of Jesus and that you would give us the compassion and the courage and the words to be able to tell what you've done for us to those around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.